1: Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off-Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off-Tackle Empire, and we are here to talk about the Nebraska Cornhuskers.
0: Yeah, we we're podcasting even though was the, this was the first day in about seven months when you could go outside and not want to immediately walk off of a bridge. So, uh, yeah, let's see what we can... What do you got over there?
1: Aha, huh Atwater Dirty Blonde. Because it's finally, it's finally time for things that aren't stouts, and somehow this ties into Nebraska football, I'm just not sure. Scott how. Frost is
0: blonde. That's how it ties in. Scott Frost is blonde. Ooh, and he's just so damn dirty. Oh,
1: well, hopefully man. not.
0: It's been a long off-season, folks. We're lonely here.
1: So, as we attempt to uh, get our groove back, uh, so too does the Nebraska program in general, having... Uh, Gone through a tumultuous 2017 season to say the least.
0: Yeah, about as exciting and and drama packed as anything involving Mike Riley could ever be. And you kind of had a feeling that it was going to be his swan song very early on when Nebraska did the belly flop against Northern Illinois. And it's this is not a vintage you know 11 win Northern Illinois season. Jordan Lynch racking up video game numbers. You know, getting people say you should be in the Heisman competition. Uh, this was not that kind of. Northern northern illinois team they're still okay for a mac program but they were not really in the championship picture in a relatively down mac conference and so it was kind of a writing on the wall situation early on and recalling last year's offseason chatter i don't think there were many nebraska fans who were optimistic at that point about the direction the mike riley program was going so that loss in i think it was week three to northern illinois was really kind of the beginning of the end and they were playing out the string from there on at a certain point it became obvious on the field as well
1: Yeah. It was very much a make-or-break year, and, uh, well, they broke. I mean, the very first game, they uh, gave up 36 points to Arkansas State. Uh, Oregon, lately, you never know what to make of it, so uh, seven point loss in a seven-point loss in what seemed to be a shootout, coming from if I'm not mistaken, coming back from a big deficit.
0: Yeah, and there may not have been as much angst about that because Oregon, under Willie Taggart, was showing some signs of a rebound at that point. Uh, but then the first two conference wins... I don't think you would have gotten much value out of that because it was... Well,
1: Rutgers, though, was a... Rutgers, I believe, led that game late. Nebraska needed a late surge to pull away from that one. That was... They were... I, I remember there being a lot of uh, alarms going on. Go, I remember there being a lot of alarms going off during the third quarter of that game. That's <laughs> Oh, no. We've got a mid-season firing potentially incoming.
0: Yeah, but once they got clear of that hurdle, you, you know, getting to two, to three and two after the first couple conference games <clears throat> with Wisconsin and Ohio State coming to visit the Huskers on back-to-back weeks, it's it's not like there should have been realistic expectations for them to win either of those games, really. And so when you get to the midpoint of the schedule or a little bit past it, you've got a lot of division games left, but <clears throat> you've already lost two big games in conference. Again, it, it never felt as though they were going to put it all together, and I think it was sometime around this point when um, former defensive coordinator Bob Diaco um, formally and publicly lost the locker room, and then the results down the stretch against, for example, the hapless Minnesota program um, and you know the vaunted offensive juggernaut that was the Iowa Hawkeyes. Penn State mixed in there as well, and they were an actual good offense, no snark intended.
1: If I'm not mistaken, that uh, infamous Bob Diaco um, Post game interview where he basically threw his whole players threw his whole defense under the bus um, was in the wake of a, a very encouraging overtime loss to Northwestern. Um, after which the defense failed to keep the last three opponents under fifty.
0: Yeah, and so if there's an if there's an unsurprising. Result after a public spectacle like that, um, this would be it. Arguably, the highlight of the year was the time that they
1: appeared to spoil Purdue's bowl hopes. Thumb, uh, thumb, appeared thumb, to thumb.
0: Look, I know that it's everybody's favorite program, but we're not talking about Michigan yet. You are talking about <laughs> Nebraska.
1: Yes, uh, it was. It was Tanner Lee's lone uh, moment in the sun when he he led them down to uh, boy, he threw a, an awful lot, which was uh, you know he lived by the Tanner Lee died by the Tanner Lee, and they they did a lot more dying than
0: living so you're saying that a program that last had great success in the 90s had their high point in the season be a narrowed win over purdue and their conclusion was we need to fire the man responsible for this immediately but that was nebraska that did that right
1: yeah i mean if i'm not mistaken jim harbaugh is still um still among the best coaches not just like right now because that's Totally academic. Like We're talking about among the best two have ever done it.
0: And yet, here we are. It's not even his week talking about him, man. So who's really winning this this PR battle, all right? It's, it, he's just out here winning the offseason without even trying. Uh, but anyway, to get back to the team we're actually talking about, Nebraska, uh, Hope really does bloom eternal here, I think. Uh, the post spring practice press that we've seen seems to indicate there's plenty of um of, of caution about expecting too much in scott frost year one i don't think many nebraska fans appear at least from what we've seen and to be fair we're not venturing into the darker corners of nebraska internet um, we don't have a dial modem or anything for that but the parts that we have been able to explore seem to indicate that there's awareness on the part of the husker fan base that this is not going to be an overnight fix even though mike riley recruited fairly well and theoretically left a decent cupboard behind uh, and as we'll go into a bit more in detail in a minute scott frost actually had a great first recruiting class considering the timeline of his hiring um Really, the the strange thing that came to my attention as we were preparing for this is I could really only name a handful of players from Nebraska off the top of my head. We had to, I had to, we had to do a little bit of actual research, which is bullshit, by the way. So y'all need to get your shit back together so that I don't have to think as much when I have to talk about your team. Uh, so, you know, aside from a couple, I mean, the wide receivers, of course, Spielman and Morgan are a great combination. You know the names of the running backs because they're the guys who pile up the stats and their name appears at the bottom of the ticker. But aside from that, I mean, could you... You name a single player on Nebraska's defense that was coming back for this year before we did our prep for this episode?
1: Uh, absolutely not.
0: Um, well, I knew Freedom. I knew Freedom Akinmolidon, I believe is how you say his last name, because um, that's a name you don't forget. Nebraska's actually got a very solid name team all around.
1: of course, led by offensive lineman Tanner Farmer, who just has the nebraska name that uh, I've ever heard.
0: It's very unfortunate that it doesn't look like he's going to be in the playing rotation. Speaking of that offensive line, um, Nick Gates will be a loss there. Um, David Neville as well, a guy that's going to be graduating. So they'll be looking for some depth and new bodies at the bookends Inside, they've got decent experience they should be okay there although again last year they turned to such a pass oriented offense that it was a little hard to know what to make of their run game and then they also had the problems where Trey Bryant was looking like their best running back but spent most of last year injured uh, and spent the spring injured as well so could be some new names there as well Um, a junior college transfer in Greg Bell is a guy that has been turning some heads they will still have Divino Zigbo on the roster although I think that may just be an academic exercise this point because nobody seems to think that he's going to be doing much but of course at the signal caller position there's a bit of a quagmire they never are right but if the spring game results are any indication adrian martinez the early enrollee true freshman out of california may well be the front runner for the quarterback position here so another martinez from california we could have hold of the starting quarterback position for multiple years very much a dual threat type of guy it is expected that scott frost will be returning some option elements uh, to the offense although his offense at ucf did have a lot of success with its passing game as well so it's going to be a very much a modernized version of what he ran when he was taking the snaps um, in lincoln
1: I was just doing a little bit of research because I wondered if there was a, a currently active pro baseball player named Adrian Martinez, and I was in fact able to find one, uh, currently playing for the Fort
0: Wayne TinCaps, Caps,
1: the pitcher. Um, I don't know, just sounds like a very baseball-y name. (laughs) I just figured I would go and uh, confirm these suspicions that one existed.
0: If his last name was Garcia, then he would be playing for the White Sox right now.
1: Yes, the three Garcia outfield. The Cerberus, (laughs) if you will. The defense is going to be an interesting exercise because, on one hand, there was all this talent that we couldn't really name, and you wonder really just how well-stocked the the coverage is. But on the other hand... Uh, you know that certainly by the end of the year, the coaching staff was getting a lot less out of these players than they could have.
0: Yeah, there's this defense has to be better than its results showed last year. It, it, it was just a situation whether it was solely because of the stuff that we actually saw with the defensive coordinator, or if there were you know scheme problems, if there were personnel and fit issues. Because after all, you know uh, Mike Riley's staff didn't really make it all that far into their tenure. Sure, maybe you could argue that the pieces they had didn't fit the scheme they're trying to run, et cetera, et cetera. Um, The fact of the matter is, their their recruiting results should tell us that this defense should be a lot better than they looked last year, especially towards the end. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see a substantial step forward towards competence on that side of the ball, um, because... Frost is going to be taking the offense in a substantially different direction. I think the progress on offense could be more limited but I also think that's the side of the ball where you've got more guys who return. I mean not just Morgan and Spielman but Tajan Lindsay Lindsey had some decent moments as well. So they may have more high profile players on the offense but I would expect to see the defense be the unit that takes the biggest step forward. Maybe in the entire conference honestly of any single unit speaking in terms of an offense or a defense. Um, progress from last year to this year. It wouldn't surprise me if the Nebraska defense is the one that makes the biggest step forward.
1: Well, what we can say about Nebraska's defensive coaching staff is that being that it's part of the UCF staff from last year, they did put together a defensive effort that absolutely crushed Maryland, not just for the game, but more or less for the season, because their offense was never the same after that game.
0: Well, there was, I mean, they inflicted a quarterback injury, so that's probably not entirely (laughs) fair. That's probably part of the equation. But but... it
1: certainly didn't seem very optimistic that Maryland was going to get any offense going against uh, the UCF defense anyway. It's totally apples to oranges but uh, those are the data that we are currently blessed with, and so we'll have to make the most of them.
0: Yeah, no, so <clears throat> in terms of looking at new contributors that we might see for Nebraska, we obviously mentioned Adrian Martinez, a certainly a major player in the quarterback competition, if not the front runner. Beyond that, though, the recruiting class that Frost put together in his first go-around, very impressive, and you see especially uh, a lot of success with his connections to Florida recruiting areas, where they have a total of eight players coming in. Um, always very important for Nebraska to be able to push their footprint out because of the relative lack of local population base. So the fact that he was able to get into Florida should help counter for the fact that with Mike Riley's connections to California maybe not carrying over quite strongly. I we do have Martinez out of Fresno. Um, that's gonna. It's always important for Nebraska to have a base of talent in one of the bigger population areas, and it looks like Frost is gonna be going to Florida.
1: Well, uh, going back to Florida once um, again, you know, certainly the fact that that program was there and him and his assistants were able to establish uh, relationships with the you know the high schools that were pumping out the talent in Florida. That's that's the kind of stuff that takes some some time to develop and with a with pipeline already to UCF, just uh you know, just disma- just dismantle the valve after you turn the water on and then you just, just point it in another direction and then
0: <laughs> <laughs> To wrap up with Nebraska here, we look at their schedule and this is where you may see improvement in on field product, but maybe not so much in the record column. Last year they ended up with a rather disappointing and eight mark looking at this schedule it wouldn't surprise me if something in that neighborhood or the five and seven uh type of finish is what we're looking at here the non-conference three games at home um against akron colorado and troy now you hear the name akron you think oh that's a sacrifice. well not so fast the zips played in the mac championship game last year they were as i recall a relatively young team And although they did not perform well in that MAG Championship game, they were still there. Um, Hey, you know who
1: else was there? We were there
0: so we've seen it with our own eyes.
1: But of course, what we also knew going into that game was that they had some key injuries at skill positions, so we weren't seeing the Akron team that pulled off an improbable victory against Frank Solich's Ohio Bobcats, so it all comes back. comes back back
0: to Nebraska, man. Uh, And then after that, renewing the rivalry with former Big 8 and then Big 12 opponent um, Colorado. Now, the Buffaloes had a great season two years ago, were substantially down last year and kind of fell back off the national radar, Uh, but Colorado not the doormat of a program that it was a few years ago. So that is a Power 5 opponent. You expect a challenge there. Uh, And then Troy, who I believe, I don't recall if they ended up with 10 or 11 wins last year, but I think they did win the Sun Belt. Uh, And they also pulled off the upset of LSU in spite of some just, just dastardly attempts by the officiants in that crew. I remember specifically um, to prolong the game and give LSU a chance to pull it out. It just didn't work. in Troy, they completely controlled that game. Yeah, Troy. It's, it wasn't like there was some fluke. Like, oh, they they returned a blocked field goal for a touchdown, and oh, LSU kicked a kicked four kickoffs in a row out of bounds or something. No, it was it was really just a an evenly played game that they Troy got, ended up hanging on to win.
1: What happened was they North Dakota stated them. <laughs> Just where they just come in and look like the far superior team.
0: And it's like, oh, we, we didn't expect this. What do we do about it? So three challenging games in the non-conference, probably three games that Nebraska should be on paper favored to win um, in succession. But until we see what this team actually looks like on the field, there's going to be a reason for caution in all three of those. And then the conference schedule is just brutal. Of any of them that we've looked at so far, it's got to be the hardest. Crossover is at Michigan, at Ohio State, and at home versus Michigan State. And then in the division, they have road games with Wisconsin, and Iowa as well as at Northwestern which let's face it will be Lincoln East Um, but it is for most teams so their home conference games they get again Michigan State in the crossover and then it's Illinois Minnesota and Purdue three teams that you have to think with them maybe the exception of Purdue they would be just as happy to play on the road because they would feel better about those games whereas some of the other teams, you'd want them at home to make them a bit closer to even. Um, very difficult. I can't picture them. I mean, do you see them pulling off any of these road games? Well, I
1: mean, you know, just because Northwestern is the kind of team that's really, really good at winning a lot of games without ever somehow without ever making you take them, like, real seriously, I can see them dropping the home game to Nebraska. Um, the other
0: reason there is because Northwestern always gets so much better as the season goes on, and the converse of that is they're usually bad at the beginning of the year. Nebraska gets them right in the middle of the season, middle of October, when they probably will not have hit their stride yet. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you there that Northwestern's one that is within reach. I think you can probably rule out Michigan, you can probably rule out Wisconsin, and you can probably rule out Ohio State as being games Nebraska has any chance in. Well, that- I
1: mean, against Michigan, it does feel like they'll, they'll keep it close because- Because, man, you know, when was the last time Michigan put anybody away with any convincingness?
0: When did they play Rutgers last? Because it would be <laughs> that. That would be the last time. Or it might not be the last time, but that is certainly a time when it would have happened. Because, boy, if Harbaugh knows how to beat up any, if there's any little nerdy kid that Harbaugh knows how to beat up and stuff in the locker, it's Rutgers and poor Chris Ash. Um, so <laughs> to wrap up the road schedule, that last game at Iowa has always been an enigma to me, and it feels like every year it's a blowout, more often in Iowa's favor than you would guess. Um, and with it being at Kinnick, I don't think I can predict a win in that either. Uh, then looking at the rest of their games, I wouldn't expect them to beat Michigan State. Historically, they've matched up well against the Spartans, but those were—I mean—that's really referring mostly to Bo Polini's coaching staff, which is a couple staffs ago now. I would favor them to beat Illinois. Still, I think. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely no reason that they wouldn't. Well, but towards the end of the season, with Illinois having as young a roster as they do, if they have better luck with health this year, they could be better by then. Um, yeah. So all down to the offensive yeah, uh, of, stuff of games that Illinois is going to play. This has to be one that's closer to a win on paper, right? Because it's towards the end of the year against a team that wasn't as good last year. That's a maybe. It's probably still a Nebraska win. Yes, granted. Minnesota is in a not dissimilar position to Nebraska, and that there's really a lot of things that will be resolved on the field that we just don't know yet. I actually think Purdue would be favored to win their game, though. Even with it being um, in Lincoln, Nebraska had to squeak out a win last year. Um, I, don't, I don't remember the exact details of that game, if I'm being honest, but I think it was kind of an odd one um, that seems to stick out in my mind for some reason. So, you know, looking over the course of this schedule... Yeah, they're playing games where, either because I don't know anything about the opponent, like, you, I could name a single player for Colorado right now. Um, but if, if you want... They don't still have Cefo Lufau, do they? No, no, Or no, Steven Montes, that's a guy. Lu, Lufau was the guy a couple years ago, but he's gone. Montes Montez was the guy, guy, guy that... last year. Um, but no, they, they don't... I know they don't have blue foul anymore, at least. So looking over this schedule, something in the 4-5 to win range feels like a safe bet. It could be that Frost really is the rock star that he seems to be, and bowl eligibility is... A possibility. Um, you know, if you're looking at that be, if that happening, they'd probably have to sweep the non-conference, and then they would have to beat Purdue, Illinois, and probably Minnesota. So they would basically have to sweep their home slate, and then they would have the space to not beat Michigan State at the end of the year, which I don't think on paper they would be favored to do.
1: Well, the one thing that Scott Frost has got to know going all the way back to his days as a player is that if you want to stick around as a head coach of the Nebraska Horn- Cornhuskers, you have got to hold on to that $5 bit of broken chair. <laughs> so that Minnesota, that's a game that he absolutely has to win to prove that he's the real deal and he knows what this program's all about.
0: And we'll just put this out there. we, The program had not started when Mike Riley came to Lincoln, but this applies to any coach of both Minnesota and Nebraska. If you want um, off Talkle Empire to ride or die for you, you just need to endorse and adopt the $5 Bits of Broken Chair trophy uh, as a program goal type of game. And then we'll be in your corner until they have fired your ass and kicked you out of town. Um, Nebraska you had Bob Diaco for God's sake. I mean Don't take yourselves <laughs> so seriously is our point. <laughs> yeah,
1: like my my point is that Bob Diaco could have made made a little countdown clock for the game like he did with the UCF and Connecticut, the civil conflict.
0: Yeah, he wasn't above that. He wasn't above making a countdown clock against a team that basically said, we're going to take out a restraining order if you weirdos don't stop trying to send us that trophy. That was the one good thing he could have done for Nebraska, and he wasn't able to do it. So, yeah, that being said, what do you expect in terms of a record for Nebraska? I'm thinking something in the 4-5 to win range. It wouldn't surprise me if they get to as many as 7, but for that to happen, pretty much every game that's winnable on paper would have to line up their way, and that just doesn't happen all that often. Even for a guy with the promise that frost has
1: yeah i think that the uh, expectations are sky high but only in the long term sense i think that there's a lot of understanding that this has been you know some turmoil but at the same time uh, frost did inherit a ucf program that had just lost every single game uh turned it to respectability quickly and then carried that momentum through to go undefeated last year your source for big 10 talk, talk. it's off tackle empire